and you can be seated. If you have your Bibles, which I pray you do, uh, please open with me to John chapter 15. If you don't come to Sunday school, I urge you to do so you will be blessed. Eric talked this morning on the parable of the, the new wine models and the old wine models, and it was very good. We've been doing a study on the parables, and uh, it's been a wonderful study. But if you would, turn to John chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. And verse 2 will be our main text for today. So let's look at this. John 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. We're doing a study here. Uh, we started last week. We're going to continue today, and I'll leave one more Sunday on this, on fruitfulness. The fruitfulness of the Christian. Uh, the fruit that's born from our lives. Are we, going to, are we going to bear fruit? Are we going to be unfruitful? In our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, like we studied last week. Every branch in me, Jesus said, is going to do one of two things. Every branch in me is going to do one of two things. We're going to either bear fruit, and then God will purge us, or prune us, or trim us, that we would bear more fruit, or we're going to be, every branch that does not bear fruit, he is going to take away. We're going to talk about what that means in a little while. The best that I can tell from studying and praying in the meaning of the words here. But that is what every, every believer is going to do one of two things. And I believe this is talking about men and women that are in Christ. I think it's very clear. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. Every branch in me that bears fruit. And so he is talking about people that are in Christ, that are in the Lord. And I just want to read this. You don't have to turn there. From Luke chapter 8, Luke's uh, recording of the parable of the seed and the sower, Jesus' words, he says, And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. There are those that hear the word and rejoice in it for a time follow along. And, and then it, he says here in this parable, Jesus said, but they're choked, their faith is choked out by the cares and the pleasures of this world. This world could be a strong uh, uh, detraction, I would say, for the Lord. It's like a vacuum. The world can have a strong pull of drawing men and women away from the faith that is in Jesus Christ. And he says, though they go forth, they're, they're, they're choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Now remember, this life is temporal. This life is not going to last. And they bring no fruit to perfection or to completion. But that on good ground, the seed which fell on good ground, are they which in an honest and good heart Having heard the word, keep it. Everything in this faith is, is based upon us keeping the faith. And the Lord keeping us in the faith. Amen. Having heard the word, keep it. And bring forth fruit with patience. Every believer and everyone that heard the gospel and is walking with the Lord to some extent is either going to bear fruit. He will prune or purge that 
vine to where it be healthier and, and produce more fruit, hallelujah, or they're going to bear no, no fruit. And he says, everyone that is in him that bears no fruit, he taketh away. And so uh, a believer is going to abide in Christ and bear much fruit as a pattern. The Bible says some a hundredfold, some 30, some 60, or we will be barren and unfruitful. Barren and unfruitful. And we talked about these words last week, so some of this will be uh, picking up where we left off last week. It's the same thought, but I think it's important to know this. What does it mean to be barren and unfruitful? Peter says we can be, we can be barren and unfruitful or unfruitful in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus. We don't want to be barren or, and or unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Peter was speaking of believers. We'll look at that in a moment. But the word unfruitful means no fruit. It means just what you think it would mean. Barren mean, actually means useless, idle, inactive. So someone who is in the vine, a branch that's in Christ, he says, in me, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, we could be unfruitful in Christ, we could be useless in Christ, we could be idle and inactive in Christ. And that doesn't bring God any glory at all. I mentioned uh, Wednesday night, we're doing our study in Philippians, and Wednesday night I talked briefly about Jim Elliott, and I don't know why the Lord has brought him to my heart and mind at this time, but he made a quote, and I didn't even realize he had been a wonderful he died at 28 years old. He had been a wonderful, effective evangelist, uh, very effective up, you know, even before he went to the mission field. He, he became very well known in his, his short life. But Jim Elliott made this statement or this prayer Forgive me, Lord, for being so ordinary when I claim to know such an extraordinary God. That to me would be, I'll have to say, Amen. Forgive me for that as well. That to me would be part of this unfruitful when I could be very fruitful. Just a thought that I have. But barrenness does not glorify God. Fruitfulness or unfruitfulness in Christ is very important to the Lord. You think about just off the top of your head how many passages in the Bible, Old and New Testament, talk about fruit. Talk about uh, wheat bringing forth, or a fig tree bringing forth figs, or Old Testament uh, scriptures, or New Testament scriptures, or we'll know them by their fruits, and so forth. Uh, there's a lot in the Bible, when you really look at it, about fruitfulness. It's very important to the Lord. It's important. Your, your fruitfulness, either bearing fruit or not, is very important to the Lord. It matters to the Lord. John the Baptist, now this, he was speaking to unbelievers, but when John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River and the Jews, unbelieving Jews that were coming down to sort of just scope out and see what was going on, they had no intention for the most part of believing what John preached. He said to them, uh, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. There's a fruit to repentance, for example. There's a fruit, and instead of just saying, okay, I believe, and then there's no change in heart, no change in life. There has to be fruit of repentance. God determined what that is. 
In Matthew 3.10, John the Baptist goes on to say, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. A point is simply this. There's a lot in the Bible about a tree bearing fruit or not. And God's take on that. Because everything's been done so that we can bear fruit. We're going to talk about this. Everything has been done so that we can bear fruit. Uh, false prophets and teachers, Jude describes as them as this, Jude, in verse 12. These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about with winds. Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. There's a lot in the Bible. It's important to God. Now, some of this we're talking about lost people that need to bring forth the fruit of repentance. But what we started in John 15 was clearly speaking, what we looked at last week from 2 Peter 1.8, is clearly speaking about believers. Amen? Uh, it, God works mightily. Nobody can work like God can work in a heart. Amen? In a life. He works mightily in you and in me and the lives of believers so that we will bear much fruit. Just know that's his plan. That's his goal. That's his working. That's the, what he's working to that end. Without question, God wants everyone in Christ, every branch in me, to bear fruit. He wants that. He desires that. He is working alongside and inside that we would bear much fruit. We must decide and we must abide. We must decide that I'm going to follow Christ and we must abide in Christ. We do that. If the Lord could do that, everybody would be saved. I say it all the time. If we didn't have a free will and didn't have to decide, everybody would say be saved. Because he's not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. But we have a free will. And we must decide that I'm going to first be born again, and second, that I'm going to abide in Christ and I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to take up my cross, deny myself, as he said, and follow with him. Because he says if any man will, that's how we're going to follow the Lord. We're going to follow the Lord in that way. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles. Now remember, our main text is John 15, 2. Every branch in me is going to do one of those two things. Now I want to look at an example from Isaiah chapter 5. I know Buck talked two weeks ago, I believe, on, on uh, the fig, barren fig tree in Luke. And he read this passage. This is, uh, this is dealing with Israel. This is not dealing with the believer. But I think you see the same pattern of God's desire for the believer to, to bear fruit. So let's look at Isaiah 5, 1 through 6. Now I will sing to my well-beloved the song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard and a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it. And once you see all that the Lord did, just as an analogy, okay, it's in a parable. It's a parable's form. See all that the Lord did for his vineyard, that it would bear good fruit. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard, what could have been done more to my vineyard 
that I have not gotten yet? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. I sh it shall not be pruned nor digged. That's signs of the caring of the Lord, the pruning and the digging. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more upon it. Now, again, I don't want to usurp something that's from Israel and make it the church of the church of Israel. My whole point is the idea of God and fruit bearing. Whether it's Israel bringing forth fruit and coming to know Christ and walking in the ways of God and following after the Lord like Abraham and so forth, or whether it's the believer in the vine, as in John chapter 15, God, he says, what else could be done more? And I, it just hit me even again as I was reading it. What else could God do more for you to bear fruit in the Lord? What else could he do more for you or for me to make us successful in Christ and prosperous in Jesus? and holy, and sanctified, and bold, and loving, and gentle, and kind. What else could God do that he has not done, or hasn't promised to still do for us? It's just like a rhetorical question, but the point is, Lord, you've done everything. You've done everything. If there's a failure, it's a failure on my part, not on God's part. I have to decide, and I have to abide. But everything from God's on God's part has been done for the believer to bear fruit or be fruitful in Christ. If we are not fruitful in the Lord, it is not God's fault but ours. And we need to face up to it. Now God can still help us. That's the wonderful thing about it. Any failing on our part, and every failing is going to be on our part, any failing in the Lord on our part can be forgiven, repented of, strengthened, and changed, Amen. and made a strong area instead of a weak area. Amen. That's, that's why there's such hope in the Lord. But if there's any failure in, in my bearing fruit or being fruitful in Christ, in the vine, there's no fault can be laid at God's feet. It's going to turn back upon me. That's what he's saying in Isaiah, even though he's dealing with Israel right there. I want to read this. We read it last week, but if you're taking notes, 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. According as his divine power hath given, past tense, given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is a scripture we ought to know. This is a scripture we ought to highlight. Because I think in the grace community, the so-called grace community, and so many communities in the church today, it's almost like if God would give me a little more grace, then, then I would be, they wouldn't say those words, I would be stronger in the Lord. He giveth more grace. Amen. He gives it. So I have it. I've been given the grace of God. And He gives more grace. What do I do with it? Is it bestowed upon me in vain? Because he says here, according as his divine power has given, his divine power has given unto us most things that, no, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How, how did he give it to me? Through the knowledge of him that called us 
to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us twice, given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. This is actually the parable that Buck Tom a couple weeks in Sunday school, a couple weeks ago. Luke 13. I want you to read with this. Again, I personally believe this is dealing with Israel, but um, either way, it's still the same picture like we were reading in John 15. Luke 13, read 6 through 9. And he spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon. God is seeking fruit, okay? There's no doubt about it. That's what it is his will for us to be fruitful. And he equips us and provides what is needed so that we will be. He came seeking fruit thereon. I planted the tree. It's in the ground. Everything I've done everything. Now it's time I'm ready for some fruit from this tree. For his pleasure. For his glory. Okay? Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, like the, the guy who was working his fields and working this fig tree. Behold, three, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find how much? None. I came and seeking fruit from this fig tree and I found none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And the, the vine dresser basically said, and he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. Again, that does show the mercy of God. Even when we're unfruitful, say, let's give it a little more time. A little more time. Let me tend to this tree a little bit more, a little bit longer. We should have been fruitful. This, that tree should have borne fruit by that time. It wasn't. And even when it didn't, when it should have, it's like, let's give it a little more time. Mm -hmm. Give it a little more time. God is patient. Mm -hmm. Amen? God is kind. He's not ready to hit us over the head, but he does want us to be fruitful. Mm -hmm. It is what we're called to in life. But we see God's gracious care. And those who <coughs> in Isaiah and Luke, whether it's Israel, or liken it to a believer, okay? We see God's gracious care and work and effort. He, in, the, in Isaiah, he said he planted the choicest vine. Nothing wrong with the vine. He planted a vineyard. He hedged it. He gathered the stones out of it, you know, so it had room in the soil to grow. He did a wine press. He fenced it. He built the tower. Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. A husbandman is a land worker or a farmer. Amen. A land worker or a farmer. And God is farming, working, and he cares. He tends for us. He cares for us. Everybody in Christ, God is actively tending for your spiritual life. He cares for you. He's doing everything that's needed. We don't see it all the time. We don't recognize it all the time. We don't see the goodness of God. We don't say life and death things he spares us from on the highways every day. We don't notice temptations he keeps us from ever entering into. He just keeps us from it, closes the door, or turns the TV off. Uh, he, he's tending for us. He's caring for us. He's sending people to speak truth 
from God's word into your life. He has people praying for you. He's tending for your spiritual well-being. He watches over our lives and he says, every branch in me that bringeth forth fruit, he purgeth it. That's the King James word. Purge means to prune. To prune. Anybody in here done any kind of gardening? Okay, uh, we used to have a lot of landscaping in our yard. We didn't grow fruit trees, but uh, any tree, an azalea, uh, a crepe myrtle, any of these trees, uh, you let just a crepe myrtle go, for example. It's got a big old healthy trunk and it's growing in the, the flowers and branches, but it also, crepe myrtle gets all these little, uh, I don't know what you would call them, sucker plants, you know, it's like something's stuck to it that's like an offshoot. It's not part of the main healthy trunk of the tree, and it's never going to be part of them, but it's getting its life from it, it's growing, it grows kind of wild, it doesn't look good, it, it's not, it's taken away from the nutrients of the main body of the tree, and I'm the farmer, I'm the vine dresser in that instance, and I go out there just like you have done before, you do with tomato plants, you snap off little branches that are not uh, part of the main healthy body of the plant, because it's, those little things growing on there, you just have to tend to a garden, let's put it that way. You have to tend to trees if you want to cultivate them to a specific purpose. You can certainly let things just go wild and they'll grow wild, but God doesn't want us to grow wild. He wants, to, he wants us to be Christ-like. He wants us to grow in Christ, amen? And so he's pruning. He's pruning for the purpose. He said, ouch, that hurt. He cut something out of my life. Uh, Maybe a friend that didn't know the Lord, but I didn't want to turn loose of them. Or friends that weren't serious about following God, and every time I was with them, it caused me to sin or compromise. He says, I'm going to cut that out of your life. And you say, ouch, that hurt. But he did it because he loved you. He did it for your good. He did it that you bear much more fruit. He's not being cruel. He doesn't hate your friend. He loves them, and Jesus died for them and can save them. Mm -hmm. But that relationship is not healthy. The Lord prunes it prunes it out of our lives. Don't think he doesn't do that. We ought to be glad that he does because he knows what he's doing. Amen. He's doing it that we bear fruit. And so he's tending for us and caring for us because he loves us. Now, if you're back in John where we started, uh, 15, where he says, every branch in me that beareth fruit, he purchased it that it may bear more fruit. Every branch in me, verse 2, that beareth not fruit, the beginning of that passage, he taketh away. Now that, that, if you're like me, I want to know what that means. You know, what does it mean? He says, every branch in me, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That phrase is not just thrown around. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And so the word, the little phrase, take away, means to remove, it means to take away, to loose, to lift up, to bear up, to carry away. I'm going to read it again. I think it's important. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away, he removes, he takes away, he looses, he lifts up, he bears up, he carries away. I think it's just important to say what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, take it away does not mean to annihilate. It doesn't say it means to annihilate. It doesn't mean total destruction. I personally, now you might have different opinions on this, and we could all do a deeper study on it. I personally believe when he says in Christ, that they're in Christ. Just like in 2 Peter 1, where
where he says, uh, those that have obtained like precious faith were in Christ. But he says, you can, you can be very unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord. These are unfruitful, and eventually, he says, they'll be taken away. Either way, the Lord's working. Either the Lord's working in the life of a believer to prune him, so they bear more fruit, or he's working and they don't bear fruit, he's going to take them away. But he's working in their lives either way. So I personally believe that he, and I don't want to get too deep into to it, uh, but I believe that it's speaking of people that are in Christ that can be, obviously you can be barren and or unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord, a believer can be, and he is working that that will bear fruit, or you will bear fruit, and if not, he'll take us away. Maybe he calls us home prematurely. And I know somebody can backslide. I know somebody can apostatize. a whole other sermon for another day. But just from this passage, he says, every branch in him that bears not fruit, he takes away. And take away means he lifts up, he carries away. He doesn't say he destroys in hell or casts in, you understand what I'm saying? Or he just says he bears it up. So maybe if we're unfruitful in the Lord, the Lord's looked three years, maybe 30 years in our lives and says, why is Brandy covering the ground? Why is he wasting? He's covering the ground. looking for fruit from Randy's life, and there's no fruit there anymore. He's trusted me. He's given his life to me. I'm looking for fruit. Maybe he'll take me home. In other words, maybe he'll, all the things he wanted to accomplish through my life, and do in me and for me and through me, he says, He's just not coming on. He's not bearing fruit like he should. Maybe out of the mercy of God, he'll call us home before we do backslide into apostasy and renounce the faith of Christ and deny the faith. That's a thought. You might disagree with me on that, but he carries them away, not annihilate or destroys. That's not what it means. So a believer in Christ, uh, if we're barren and unfruitful, this life does not honor God. We would agree with that. This does not honor the Lord. It is not the fulfillment or purpose of your life or my life in Christ. That not the life that He is, wants me to live. Look at John 15, 16, if you're still there. You have not chosen me, Jesus said, but I have chosen you and ordained you, what? That you should go and bring forth fruit. I've ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. It has to do with abiding. It has to do with the relationship. It has to do with fruit and fruit remaining. It has to do with the relationship with God that we know him and we walk with him and we hear his voice. So that when we call upon the Lord and we ask something in the name of Jesus, we're not just asking selfishly or amiss. We're abiding Christ. We know the Lord. We have the Lord's heart and spirit. And we're calling upon the Lord. He says he'll give. We'll have the thing that we ask of him. Amen. Amen. And so the labor, we talked about this last week, but it's worth repeating. The labor or the striving on the believer's part is not to bear fruit, believe it or not. We're, we're aware of it. We're going to be aware of it. We're conscious of it. We see, see the scriptures. We see it's honoring to God. But the striving or laboring on my part and your part is not to bear fruit. The striving or laboring in my, on my part is to abide in Christ. Amen. To abide in Christ. There's a world that's trying to suck you into the world. 
There is a worldly mindset that is trying to corrupt your mind. There is a worldly heart set that's of antichrist that is trying to corrupt and pollute your heart. There are pulls of things that are outside of Christ. The strive, striving and laboring on my part and your part is to be abiding Christ. We just sit right here. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Why? Because he's a tree that delights himself in the Lord and in his word and meditates on the Lord day and night. That is like a tree, likened unto a tree, planted by the rivers of water. He's going to bear fruit. Mm -hmm. The striving is not to bear fruit. The striving <laughs> is for you and me as Christians to abide in Christ when everything is pulling us in different directions out of that abiding. Amen? To abide in Christ. So that's our labor, our striving, right here in John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. I said this slide. It doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say it would be very difficult to bear fruit by itself. It says it cannot. Except it abide in, in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Amen. Amen. So we're occupied not with fruit bearing, we're aware of it, especially when God shows us and convicts us. Hey, Randy, you're not bearing much fruit. Gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit. You're not very gentle with your life. Uh, then I need to absolutely be aware of that. I need to crawl to the Lord on my hands and, you know, being a little exaggerated. I need to go to the Lord in prayer and call upon the Lord and say, oh God, forgive me. Obviously, I'm not abiding in you like I thought I was, because if I was abiding in you, like I assumed of myself I was, gentleness would be produced in my life, not harshness and smart out and rude. Gentleness would be, because that's the fruit of your spirit. That's what comes from the vine into me, into the branch. Amen? So we understand that. I'm abiding in the Lord. So just as we move on and bring this last thought, what, what is given to us that we would know if we're abiding? Have you ever thought that? Somebody says, I'm abiding in Christ. Somebody else says, I'm abiding in Christ. How do we, what, what do we have biblically that would be indicators, I guess you would say, as to whether or not an individual, saved individual, is abiding in Christ. First, you have to be born again. Okay? You can go to church all your life and not be saved. You can sit in a garage the rest of your life and never become a car either. We have to be in Christ. We have to be in Christ. Amen? We have to be born again. The Bible says, if any man is in Christ, we have this witness in ourselves. By the Holy Ghost bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So there's an inner knowing I'm in Christ, first of all, saved. But then that now that I'm saved, how do I know that I'm abiding in Christ? Because I'll sure want to bear fruit because I know that honors God. I know that's wonderful. I want to do that. How do we know if we are? We know because we're going to walk and live in accordance to his word. We're going to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance to His will as revealed in His Word. We're going to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance to His will as revealed in His Word. The, the two don't line up. If I say I'm a Christian, I'm a strong Christian, me and Jesus are tight, 
I'm really strong in the faith, really strong in the Lord, but my life does not resemble what is given here for New Testament Christianity, and I have deceived myself. I'm not saying you're not saved, only God and you know that. I'm saying I've deceived myself into thinking I'm something I'm not. There's not a different brand of Christianity given in the Bible. There is Christianity given in the Bible, and there are commandments given in the Bible. And if I'm walking and living for Jesus and abiding in Christ, I'm going to be walking in obedience to his will revealed to me clearly in his word. People get off. And I'm telling you how one way, and we all can do it, we might all have at different times of our life. We can get off, so to speak, or confused on this idea of waiting for some personal goosebump, some personal feeling, some personal revelation that seems spiritual to know if we're in God or in the will of God or doing what God wants me to or is God pleased with me. But really, it's not nearly that mysterious or mystical. We might be waiting for some personal revelation, our favorite song, and what a hair on the back of my neck stands up every time we sing that song in church. And we think that must be the Spirit of God, the presence of God, that must be how I'm pleasing God, abiding in Christ, and so forth. And we have neglected, perhaps, what is clearly revealed in the Word of God. And we get off. We're already off if that's what we're seeking. We're waiting for a feeling. We're waiting for a sign. Something to suggest to me personally that I am uh, in the will of God and abiding in Christ. And yet we have neglected what he has clearly revealed to us and given to us and said, Randy, here, here, I'll give you feelings. I'll give you a favorite song. Everybody's got a favorite song. There's songs I love to sing, Christian songs more than others. There are songs I get into more than others. I will acknowledge all of that. But none of that is the determining factor of whether or not I'm in the will of God or abiding in Christ at that particular moment. What he's given us is the determining factor. Am I walking? And it will be the same for you as me. There are certain things God's doing in your life. He's not doing in mine and vice versa. But there are certain things and most things, I would say, that are common common salvation. It's common to all believers. There are trials that are common to uh, your brother, brothers and sisters in the world. There are a lot of things that are common in Christ, and we find these out of the world. And so, I'll give you an example. I'm going to list some. We say, I'm waiting for a feeling. I'm waiting for a sign. I want to know if I'm abiding in Christ. I'm waiting for uh, a handwriting on the wall. I'm waiting for a, a ring around the moon. One night when I look up in the sky, I'm waiting for something because I heard God did this for somebody else. And he's given us his word. Let me tell you how I know if I'm abiding in Christ. The basic ABCs of it. Parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church and gave himself for it. Wives, Honor your husbands and, and obey them. Masters, submit, I mean, servants, uh, submit to your masters, not just to the kind, but also to the unkind. We see scripture after scripture. And by the way, these that I'm giving, these are not Old Testament, Old Covenant, Law of <coughs> Everything I've quoted is from Colos Colossians, Ephesians, the New Testament, okay? For believers, submitting one to, not, to another in the fear of the Lord. This is how I know I'm abiding in Christ. Pray without ceasing. Work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling. Again, this is not legalistic. It's not old covenant, old Moses, law of Moses Christianity that avails nothing. Everything I've quoted is from the New Testament, and you could look at a hundred more. My point is, and we fail in those things at times, every one of us. I do. But how do I know if I'm abiding in Christ? I'm not waiting for a sign or a goosebump or a feeling that comes over me. I'm saying, am I walking in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Am I walking in obedience to Christ? There will be one more passage we read together. I want you to turn there. John chapter 14. So just look back. John 14, verse 21, and we'll skip down. Jesus says, He that has my commandments, plural, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. So how do I know? This is one scripture. How do I know I'm abiding? He that has my commandments and does what with them? Writes them in a book? Writes them on the wall? Preaches them to others? No, he that has my commandments and keepeth them. That's a pattern. You understand what I'm saying? It's a pattern. We all sin at times. We all have broken commandments of the Lord, certainly before we were saved. And we have all done it since we've been saved. But as a pattern of our lives. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. Verse 23 and 24. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. The Lord has given this. The Lord has given it to you. How do I know, Randy? God, how do I know if I'm really loving you? How do I think I am? I feel loving. How do I know if I'm really abiding in you? He that hath my commandments, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode, dwelling place with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. What are we saying? We're simply saying it's not so mysterious to know. The whole idea is bearing fruit. We're not going to bear fruit if we don't abide in Christ. And how do we know if we're abiding in Christ? We're walking in the ways of God consistently as a pattern. When we fail, we ask God to forgive us. Guess what that is? That's walking in the way of God too. Because he says that if we, if we sin, we're to turn to him and go to him in repentance and confess and be forgiven. So we, as a pattern, we're walking in the will of God. We're going to bear much fruit. Amen? Bear much fruit. So I'll close with this thought, and I want to, I want to pray. Uh, 2 Peter 1.8 says, If these things be in you and abound, the things he talked about before, add to your faith, virtue, and brotherly kindness, and so forth, and charity and love. If these things be in you, as a believer, and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in, our, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. They make you that you won't be. These things are in you and abound. To me, this is fruitfulness. Not just the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, but fruitfulness in Christ. Everything that is involved in being a Christian. Fruitful, productive, growing, humble, holy, useful, kind. You understand? Working everything in us that Christ is trying to produce. 
then these things abound in us. That means abound means to do, make, or be more, more, to increase, to be abundant, super abound is what it means. God wants us to super abound with the life of Christ, with the fruit of the Lord, with the fruit of the Spirit, and He is able to do that. Seek to abide in Christ. We're not to be ignorant. If we're not bearing fruit, it's not a point of self-condemnation and all that kind of stuff. It's a point of conviction by the Holy Ghost and repenting and saying, God, help me. Help me to abide in you. That's probably not going to be just a one-time prayer, by the way. We're going to find that as we walk through life, the world starts pulling on us and we get distracted and we need to come back to our first love. We need to abide in Christ. There's always that working. And God is always pruning and tending to us and caring for us and getting the rocks and stones out of the ground so our lives can grow. He desires to do that. Amen. That you can come. Or, or, I'm sorry, Chris is going to lead us in an altar time tonight, uh, this morning. But I just jotted down this prayer, and I don't always do it, but I jotted this prayer down as I was closing this sermon from my office studying. Lord, please don't let me be barren or unfruitful in my knowledge of you. Useless, remember, barren means useless to you. Idle, inactive. But please don't let me be barren or unfruitful in my knowledge of you. Don't let me be like an unfruitful branch that's inactive and not bearing fruit. Oh Lord, you've given to us so great salvation. You've given us all that's needed for life and godliness. Use us in our lives for your glory. Cause us to bear much fruit. Mm -hmm. Amen. The altar's open. Chris is going to play and sing. You take the time. Let's meet with the Lord. Let's call upon the Lord. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. God, you have ordained, we just read in the Gospel of John, that our life should bear fruit. You've ordained. You have said, here it is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. We all want our lives to glorify you, Lord. And Lord, you're not glorified if my life is barren and useless and unfruitful. God, help us. Forgive us. Show us our own sin. Show us our own laziness. Show us our own spiritual pride or laziness, God. You said if a man loves me, he'll keep my commandments. He'll keep my words. And you'll come make your father make your dwelling place with us. What a blessing. What could we ask more than to abide in Christ and your spirit to dwell in us? We praise you, God.